you sat there and you watched it, right? Oh, for sure, yeah. Did you laugh a little? You do laugh, and then you kind of try to, you know, you're trying to see how accurate, <laughs> accurate it is of what I was exactly saying. And? I, it's it's probably above a 90% clip. I really? Think. It's, pretty, it's, pretty, it's pretty solid, yeah. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Chris Rose Rotation presented to you by our friends over at SeatGeek. Of course, last week we were down in San Diego at the baseball winter meetings, had a great chance to reconnect with a bunch of people I hadn't seen in years, and that included a bunch of managers. And so today we've got kind of a special edition where we're going to group together some chats that we had with American League Manager of the Year from my Cleveland Guardians, Terry Francona, uh, from the Baltimore Orioles, Brandon Hyde, and also the architect of the Seattle Mariners, Jerry Depoto. Oh, Tito, one of my favorites, Terry Francona. <laughs> You're already you laughing. We haven't even like started. That? That's a good thing. Okay, okay. Where do, are you still in Tucson in the offseason? Yeah, I We're, love it. I know. I do you go to every Cats game? Every one I can, and... I'm the biggest Tommy Lloyd fan. Mm. I mean, he. in fact, they're playing in Vegas on Friday, and I'm taking a, some people up there for the game just mm. because, well, one, it's Vegas. I was going to say. And I may even go to the game. Okay, good. <laughs> are they, They're good, aren't they? Yeah, they are. They're, they're solid. They're, they were up to rank fourth. That's probably a little high. Okay. But they're good. Okay. They're so well coached, that, and they're fun to watch. Yeah. Can you ever learn something from other coaches in other sports? Does it translate? You know what, Chris? Um, I'm not one that really picks guys' brains a ton. But when you say that, I go about an hour early. And I love watching the interactions. Uh. And, like, that's how I, before I even met Tommy, I watched his interactions with the players. And I remember thinking, I like this guy. Like, you could tell he loves his players. And he's not afraid to coach them, but he likes them. Because you see so many college coaches, it's like they run it like it's my way or the highway. I just, right away, like that's why when I go to the Cavs games, I want to sit down low, not because I want the best seat, but I want to see the interaction in the huddles. Mm. I love that stuff. So when you were in Boston, did you have any relationship with Bel- with Belichick? Not so much. I knew Bill. It was more with Scott Pioli, okay. yeah. who I adore, love him. But Doc Rivers. Right. And... I'll give you a quick Doc Rivers story. He was going to speak in our winter development program at, I think it was 8 o'clock in the morning. They were playing in Minnesota the night before. They lost in double overtime. And I'm watching the game, and I'm like, Doc's pulling the ripcord. Yeah, he ain't coming. He was there a half hour early. And I remember thinking, wow. enough said. Enough said. And he came and we talked. That speaks volumes to me. It's pretty good. I got a lot of fun stuff I want to cover, but obviously you guys had some news. Today, uh, we, I can say that as a Guardians fan, have a brand new first baseman. Did you have a chance to meet with Josh Bell personally? You know what? We're not allowed to talk about things that technically haven't occurred officially. Oh, all right. So you can talk about it all you want. I'm very excited <laughs> if it happens. Good. We're, we're trying, hypothetically, Yes. we're trying to get better. We were so proud of our group, yep. but we don't want it to be a one-year kind of a feel-good story. Mm-hmm. We want to get better. So our guys are working hard to try to do that, and one way is to give us a little presence against some left-hand pitching. Yeah, that's good. I know that you were serious when you said it last spring training. You were like, I think we're going to surpri- surprise some people. But at what point during the regular season were you like, holy shit, this thing is actually <laughs> going to come together? It's interesting because I don't know if you ever really – you know, because it 
in, on September 4th, we were four games over 500. But we were, I think, a game in first place because our right. division was kind of struggling to find their footing. And then we really got hot. And I think we were all concerned because most of our guys hadn't played in September. In fact, we had three guys that were supposed to be at the rookie development program. One, uh, one kid came and asked me, he goes, Tito, do I got to go to this? I go, no, you're playing right field. <laughs> He's like, but, but, they, and, but they got better. And, and they competed. And it, it was fun, man. I mean, like, we didn't get to where we wanted to at the end, and that hurts. But, God, it was a fun journey, man, because it's a good group. Yeah, I could just tell you that, that it was outside of probably, you know, there were teams obviously in the 90s for me because that was the first time in my lifetime that Cleveland was any good at baseball. And then, you and know. they were dominant. Dominant. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, you know, 07, we got close. Somebody it, I came back from 3-1 in the ALCS. I don't remember who that was. And then, you know, obviously uh, 2013, when you in your first year there, that was something special. 2016 obviously as well but this team gave me as much joy and my family as much joy so I want to just tell you that I I appreciate you saying that that means a lot to me yeah because a lot of people have come up to me especially at the meetings like hey we really respect the way you guys played that makes my day because I I tell our guys at all time it's meaningful not just because how it looks but it helps us win Mm -hmm. and we prove that and I think maybe the game will kind of because you know, you got to respect the game. The game is so awesome. I don't think we do a good enough job of, of letting people know how much we love our game because mm-hmm. we do. It's true. Um, I want to spin the Wayback Machine for you. When was the first time you ever thought about being a manager? Oh, I can tell you. Um, Buddy Bell, who was my roommate in Cincinnati, uh-huh. and probably taught me more about how I feel about the game than anybody. We used to stay up and talk all night about baseball. And I have so much of the way I feel about the game is because of Buddy. And he retired and took a job with the White Sox. And he asked me in the winter, he goes, you want to you coach or manage? And I said, you know, Buddy, I said, I had my knee reconstructed. I had my shoulder operated on. I had my wrist operated on. And I worked really hard. I want to go to spring training. Just see if I can do it. Well, I, I couldn't do it. <laughs> Got released. I went home. And he called. And he goes, you ready? And I go, you better believe it. I was, I was taking a night class for real estate. Oh, I took the books to the teacher. I said, hey, man, nobody's going to buy a house for me anyway. I said, give these to somebody. I left the next day for Sarasota. And it was the, the day I got there. I was like, I love this. Like, it was just, it was perfect. More of the Rose Rotation is coming your way, but today's episode presented to you by our friends over at SeatGeek. It is the best app to put your butts in the seats at a great sporting event or a concert that you want to go to this holiday season or well into 2023. A few special instructions you need to follow, but these are going to help you. So don't be like, oh my God, Rose is telling me what to do. I'm doing this to help you people. Take your phone, go to the app store, download the SeatGeek app, and off you go. In fact, I want to save you money as well. You can get 20 bucks off your tickets at SeatGeek with the promo code ROSE. So if you want to go buy your uh, baseball tickets for next year, let's remember there's a brand new schedule. So you might be seeing stars have, you know, coming to your town that have never been to your city before. So go get your tickets now. Uh, Of course, the NFL season's in full swing. College bowl season is here. College hoops, NBA, NHL, concerts going 365 days a year. So here's the deal. 
you punch that in, you find out what event you want to go to. SeatGeek doesn't just tell you, here, grab this ticket. They actually rate it on a scale of zero to 10 to make sure you're getting the best deal possible. They color code it as well. So green, thumbs up. Red, thumbs down. You're not getting the best deal possible. I told you, I recently used this when the Cavs came out to take on the Clippers in Los Angeles. I purchased four great seats for my entire family here on the SeatGeek app. We got to the game. My oldest son, Josh, he said, dude, what'd you pay for these? I told him. He's like, really? For these seats? I was like, hell yeah. Hell yeah. My friends at SeatGeek hooked me up and I used the promo code ROSE. I got to use my own freaking name. So I got great seats and a great deal. You're going to get 20 bucks off your first SeatGeek order. Go do it today, just in time for the holiday season. Now, everybody knows that you managed uh, MJ in, in the minors, but did you also manage in the Dominican? Is that what I read? Did you I, I managed I mean I've been pretty much I managed in Venezuela uh-huh. managed in the Dominican I also played 4 years in Venezuela and played in Puerto Rico so I've kind of run the gamut What is that experience like Well it's different you got to remember now this is back in the middle 80s to the early 90s so when you went to Venezuela like there wasn't cell phones you know it was you're you're gone like it's hard I mean, you got to make a commitment now with FaceTime and stuff. Right. You know, it's it's a lot easier for the guys. It was, it's a great experience because you learn to make adjustments, and you also see how they feel when they come to the United States, and somebody talks to them in their second language and they nod because they don't want somebody to think they're dumb. I did all time. They'd be speaking to me in Spanish. I'd be going, "Yeah, I got it. I had no idea." <laughs> so I think in the long run, it's a great teaching tool just to have respect for the other guys coming to here. So how'd you communicate as a manager? Um, actually, my Spanish got way better, uh-huh. especially at the ballpark, because you're talking baseball. And got now it. it's regressed so much, and it makes me mad that I've allowed it to, because I, I feel like I could do better, especially with some of the Latin guys that struggle sure. with English, and I just haven't done a good enough job. Sometimes you get to an age where it's harder to learn than when you were younger. Well, you know, Jose Ramirez is obviously the face of the team, uh, and he's been around here a while, but he still does, you know, his interviews primarily in Spanish. We understand that. But you and Jose have no problem communicating. He's, he is so awesome. And, and I wish I spoke Spanish better because I love talking to him. Uh-huh. But you tell Jose something, and he just looks at you. He's like, I got it. Like the first day of spring training, I called him met him, and I said, hey, man, we're really young. I said, we got to play the game the right way. And I said, I'm not going to yell at a bunch of young kids if our veteran. And he goes, he goes, I got it. That's all he said. He goes, I got it. And I knew he did. And, and his motor in a med, they, it, their motor never stops. And it makes our message to our players not, not hollow because it's so meaningful. So true. Um, you know, there's a lot of people that are baseball fans that knew you played, but they probably didn't remember that you were a first-round pick of the Montreal Expos. I don't blame them. Stop. I don't blame them. Uh, these days, it's obviously broadcast on MLB Network. Uh, it's a great show and everything. How did you find out you were a first-round pick? Um, we were in Omaha, and we, we had College a— College World Series. Yeah, we had a day off, and I, we were my folks had come, and we were sitting in the hotel— and I remember thinking, you know, I was like typical 18-year, you know, 21-year-old kid. I knew they had got to around like 19, pick 19. I'm like, I knew I should have signed out of high school. You know, my dad's like, <laughs> relax. And about two picks later, uh, John McHale called 
who was running the Expos at the time. And it was funny because he had had my dad as a young player. And my dad had wanted to take it, go visit me when I was born. And John McHale was like, no, I think he fined my dad $250 or something. And my dad said to him, he goes, John, remember that kid that you, he goes, it's going to cost you a lot more than 250. <laughs> and I, you know, I was like devastated, but I told my dad, I said, I want to sign next Sunday. And I signed next Sunday, went to Memphis that night, took BP. You serious? Yep. You're kidding. No, Which- my dad was my, my dad represented me. It was probably the easiest negotiation ever in, in a million years. What do you think you signed for? It was a hundred thousand dollars. They knew I wanted a hundred. We knew I wanted 100, and I said, Dad, I don't want to sit too long. I want to play. And I said, I want to sign by Sunday. I said, a week off's plenty. I went down that night and left. My mom was crying. She's like, you're now officially a piece of meat. And I'm like, you know, I didn't know what I was getting into. So what, what year did you make it to the show? 80? 81. 81. The stri- oh, so I, been- oh. I went back. I, I signed in 80 and f- played in Memphis, went back in 81, Got called up to Denver probably the middle of May. And then when the strike was over, that long strike in 81, yeah. they I was hitting about 350 and got called up like three days after the strike and played the rest of the year. So that's Buck Rogers' team? No, that was it was Dick Williams. Oh, Dick Williams? He got oh fired my God. about 10 days after I was there, and Jim Fanning took over. How intimidated were you when you got to the show? Oh, I called Andre Dawson, Mr. Dawson. I was like, I mean, it was Ellis Valentine yeah. and Gary. I mean, it was all oh, Larry Parrish. Was Rodney Scott on that oh, team? Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. Tim Raines. And, but I mean, you know, it was different then, but they were good. They were good. They, they would lean on you a little bit, but not in a bad way. Chris Spire. Uh-huh. Chris he, Spire. Oh, I looked up to him so much. And so they taught you the right way. Yuppie. UP was a little intimidating. Yeah. Actually, Montreal was interesting because they didn't really understand <laughs> good, good baseball. Phrasing. But they loved their team. I mean, back then, we were drawn $2.5 million. They loved the Expos. Um, everybody answers you for this question, but if you could grab a beer and just listen to story time of a manager or a couple of managers here, who are you hanging out with? Golly. You know... Because my favorite, probably one of my favorite things in baseball are the people. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's like when I, when I shut it down, whenever that is, I'm not going to miss the hotels. I'm not going to miss the travel. But, God, I love sitting in the clubhouse, either playing cards and talking to the coaches, talking to the players. I mean, the, I, I, the one thing I'll brag about, I have been around more good people than anybody in the game. I guarantee it. And I know I'm lucky, so I would I would pick a lot of people. Yeah, because I love that part of it. You know, obviously it's been well documented about your health, and this year, thankfully, you, you made it through the season and you had such a good run. Are there have there been times in recent years where you're flying to Kansas City at two in the morning and you're thinking to yourself, yeah, yeah, the last couple of years, not this year, yeah, but the two before were really tough. And in fact, if I wasn't working in Cleveland, I probably would have gone home. That's how much I love the place I work. Mm-hmm. Um, and some days when we're not maybe the most spending the most money, I remind myself of that because I work for the best people. You can't work for better people. Mm-hmm. And Chris and Cherney kind of helped me a ton when I wasn't feeling good, not pressuring me. Because I even told him at one point, I said, hey, I can understand how you might need to move on. 
I said, because this isn't fair to you guys. And Chris is like, no. And, it, it, and he meant it. And it allowed me to come back. Because I was getting a little nervous that maybe it was kind of towards the end. Really? Yeah, because I just wasn't, I wasn't healthy enough to, you got to do the job right. Sure do. And I felt like I was putting way too much on the coaches. And I probably still do, but they're so good, and they allow me to get off my feet sometimes. And, you know, DeMarlo and Carl and Sandy and Sarby, I mean, the guys, it, they, they help me survive or I wouldn't be able to do it. You know, um, it's interesting because you started your big league managerial career in, in Philadelphia, and I know it wasn't super easy for you. Those first few years, because we talk a lot about dealing with success and, um, and dealing with failure. And when, it, when you were struggling right out of the gate as a young manager, how often did you go home and say, Jesus, I don't know, I don't know if I can do this? A, a lot. A lot. It was tough. That's not an easy place to not be good. Right. But I think I learned a ton. And I was learning on the run. And I knew it. But I knew how I felt about the players. And I knew, like, if, hey, if they're giving the effort, I'm going to take some bullets for them. Then when you get to a place like Boston where there's talent – and they're ready to win, but you still have that mindset about, hey, caring about the players, and it, gets, it can get pretty special. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade the four years in Philly, but it was hard. Yeah. You got one great poppy story before we hit it? I got a lot of great poppy stories. I, know. I mean, you got one? When I first got there, he was kind of a go-to guy. And I didn't know him before I got there. But if, like, Manny did something, David would say, I got it. Okay. I mean, when you start to trust people like that, and that team was like, I mean, like Johnny Damon. Like, oh, my God. I mean, like, he would crash into the wall. You'd swear he's going to the hospital. And he'd, he'd come in after the game. He goes, call me in the morning. I think I can play. <laughs> I mean, those are things that, like, Shill. You know, I know things aren't perfect with Shill from the perception-wise. Yeah. But, but for me, I need to be biased for him because of the way he was both in Philly and in Boston. And I don't apologize for it. He, he was good, man. He was great. Yeah. Well, listen, man, it's always great catching up with you. I appreciate Thank the you. time. You're always great to my family when we, we see. I know, man. It's fun. It is fun. That's part of the fun of baseball, man. I hear you, brother. Thank you. Thankfully, it's not Zoom. We can do it in person. I like that part. And me I'll too. see you next season. All right. Good to see you, man. Thanks, brother. You got it. Well, today's episode of the Rose Rotation is sponsored by BetterHelp Therapy Online. Uh, I've told you about this for a long time, that I have been in and out of therapy ever since I was a little kid. There wasn't one specific incident that made me go to therapy. My parents just thought it was always good to have somebody to bounce some ideas off of. And as I have now become an adult, gotten married, and eventually had kids of my own, uh, a therapist has come in extremely handy over the years. And so if you need somebody to talk to about the day in, day out struggles of life, whether that is a relationship, whether it's your work, whether it's some sort of combination, a place like BetterHelp Therapy Online might be the place for you. In fact, I say that it would be. Um, here's the great thing. You don't have to leave the comforts of your own home. You'll have a time where you meet up with a therapist uh, and hopefully that person will click with you. And if for some reason it doesn't work out between the two of you and it's not the perfect relationship that you're looking for, that's okay. They will find somebody else who can help you. And these are professionally licensed and vetted therapists. It is 100% online. It makes sense in terms of convenience. It makes sense in terms of your pocketbook as well. 
So here's the deal. We want to save you 10% on your first month at betterhelp.com slash rotation. That is betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash rotation. You're going to get 10% off your first month. And here's the deal. We all deserve to be happy. And if somebody can unlock certain thoughts and beliefs in your brain and make you get pointed in the right direction, you deserve to smile a little bit more. It's particularly helpful throughout the holiday season. So once again, this is BetterHelp Therapy Online. Go make that call today. Brandon Hyde of the Baltimore Orioles. I just, uh, we were just chatting right before we came on. And what did your son say about this place? Son and all his friends. Yeah, big John Boy fans. They love to see uh, my post-ejection, I guess it would be uh, the recap. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah, I'm not a huge fan. But, no, no. You, well, come on now. You have to think about that no. because, unfortunately, there's so little to argue between managers and umpires these days because yeah. of replay and everything else. You have to at least get one good one in a year. Well, I think I've gotten a few in, yes. um, unfortunately. But, uh, no, yeah, it, it, it's funny is when, you, when that happens, all of a sudden all your buddies from home and my son and uh, uh, random people are te- text you the, the, uh, the tweet and the – and the whole video. So you get to see it plenty of times. Yeah, so you you sat there and you watched it, right? Oh, for sure, yeah. Did you laugh a little? You do laugh, and then you kind of try to, you know, you're trying to see how accurate, <laughs> accurate it is of what I was exactly saying. And? But, uh, it's, it's probably above a 90% clip. I really? Think. It's, pretty, it's pretty, pretty solid, yeah. I don't know where Jimmy is. Jimmy, where, I, I have no idea. He, 90 per, he gave you a 90% clip positivity been, on the lip reading. There's been some where we're like right on. Like there was one in... He's a tough one to do. There was one in Boston, like my my first year managing in nineteen, early in the season. I didn't even know about this, and I, all of a sudden I'm getting flooded with with what he did, and I'm like, oh my god, he like seriously knows every word I'm saying. It's like the lip reading's amazing. It's pretty and good. It's mostly bad words, so it's not great. For he me. should work for the government, not open his own business. Let's be honest. I think he's he doing fine. He could be. Yeah, actually, that's a, that's a better call. Better call. Um, I'm curious. When was the First time you thought about like I could be a manager, like you were you were a ball player growing up. Yep. Uh, I didn't, you know, even like my managing career in the minor leagues. Like I, there was at that time, I, I think that was always like a dream. Like, but so far fetched, honestly. I just, I honestly just wanted to kind of get to the big leagues and uh, as a bullpen coach or third base coach right. or, you know, I didn't play in the big leagues, so I didn't know. If that opportunity was ever going to arise, I you know I really enjoyed managing in the minor leagues, and I loved running a club, and and uh, whole, my whole minor league experience was great. Uh, but yeah, if I ever got the opportunity, that'd be fantastic. But I didn't really, I didn't know if it was going to ever be possible because I didn't play in the big leagues. And um, you know, adding, I think going my first year, first couple years in the biz, I was with Jack McKeon, and Jack gave me a ton of confidence. Honestly, Jack let me do a lot of things when I was his bench coach in, in Miami in '11. So. Um, I think probably then I feel I felt I felt like I could do it, but even before that, like when did it hit you? Like this is something I want to pursue. I want to be you know at least start off like a coach, but I really want to be a manager. I I, I loved managing in the minor leagues. I mean, I got in the, I, I knew as a player I was going to end up coaching, and then um, you know I was always talked about you know told you know when you get done playing you know, the opportunity is going to be there, and, and so I kind of. That was always my thought. Probably ended my playing career probably early because of that because I was always kind of thinking ahead from that standpoint. And then I, when I got into coaching, I just loved it. I really loved coaching. I studied 
um, all, coaches from all different sports. I'm a huge sports fan, so I, I love um, and I watch basketball, football guys um, as well, and and I just love the art of coaching. And and, and um, at some point, you know, I if I felt like I could manage in the big leagues, it was it was about if I was going to get the opportunity or mm-hmm. not. Everybody thought that uh, the Orioles was your first big league managing job. It was not. You were a veteran by that point of one game. I did two one loss at Tampa. Uh, Chris Volstad versus James Shields. Yeah, I uh, brought in Randy Choate to face Casey Kochman late in the game in a one-one game, and he threw a sand wedge on the chalk. Well, not really chalk on the paint and uh, on the turf in Tampa. We lost two to one. That was my only one. So you were the interim replacement. It was after Freddie got let go, right? Yep. And before McKeon came in. No, so Fre- Freddie Freddie got let go in ten. Like in June, I went to the big leagues in 10. Okay. And 11, we were in Tampa, and our manager um, resigned during the right before the game. Yeah, who was that? Edwin Rodriguez. Oh, Edwin Rodriguez. Okay, right. Yeah, Father's Day, 2011. And so they're like, you're the skipper. Here you go. Yeah, the front office comes into the office in Tampa and said, hey, Edwin's not going to be here today. You're managing the club. And it was like three hours before the game. And your, and your reaction was? <laughs> well, I was just like, what happened to Edwin? I didn't know. I, I, nobody gave me a heads up. I mean, he didn't give me a heads up that that was going to happen. So I was just doing my normal pregame, uh, you know, routine of getting ready for a game as his bench coach. And all of a sudden, he's, uh, he's not here. So thrown into it. The next day, Jack McKeon comes. And uh, it was really like the, the, I had so much fun with him the last few months. And I've stayed close to him ever since. It was a great experience. What made it so fun? I mean, there's such a huge age disparity yeah. between you two. What in the world could you guys have in common where you enjoyed it? Well, he made it enjoyable because he allowed me to do so much. I mean, he really just, like, got thrown into this. Right. And, and you know, he, has re- he obviously retired at that point. And, um he allowed me to we, – when we took the, a cab to the ballpark and back every single day. Um, and it was like all he – you know, if you know Jack, it's a lot of stories and a lot of storytelling. Oh, yeah. And um, we would walk the outfield, the warning track, every day before the game smoking a cigar. He would smoke a cigar the entire time. <laughs> it was just being around this really lovable guy that had 60-something years of experience in professional baseball. And, and for him allowing – you know, for him to share it all with me and, and take time, I mean, it was it was uh, uh, priceless. And, and, you know, he didn't have a ton of interest really in managing, I don't think, at that point. So he really allowed me, you know, we talked, we shared an office in Miami, and uh, he gave me a lot of experience. So you grew up in Santa Rosa, California, which is outskirts of San Francisco, right? Yep. Um, I read a great story in The Athletic on you after you got hired by the Orioles. All your high school boys call you Larry? Yeah. They, call, they they kind of call each other that. Everybody's Larry in the text conversation. It's it's it, it's more of a it's a negative term Ooh, for us. Yeah, you got all frowny face on me. Yeah, because it's a uh, Larry Larry the loser mentality. Oh. So they um, somebody started that like twenty years ago, and so anytime we play anything or do anything where it was a loss involved, the golf, you know that kind of stuff, it was uh, uh, they would call each other Larry. But you weren't the loser back then. You were no. the stud athlete. You were a great hooper, yep. I read. Well, I don't know about great hooper. No, that's, that's what it said. <laughs> great shooter is what I read. I could shoot. Went face-to-face with former Michigan wide receiver and uh, New York Giants receiver, Amani Toomer. Amani Toomer. Is that accurate? De La Salle. Is that De La Salle accurate? back in the day. But you guys went face-to-face in it. Got a little scuffle. Shit-talking? 
a little shit talking. Unfortunately, he was a lot more athletic and way stronger than I was at that point. And uh, he was going to Michigan as, as a wide receiver. They had a really good team. De La Salle was a powerhouse. Yeah. It was good Bay Area basketball then. Jason Kidd, St. Joe's uh, was really good. Bishop O'Dowd was always really good. The Barry brothers at De La Salle. So it was Barry, Drew Barry, Brent Barry, Armani Toomer. Um, so it was good basketball back then. So you went against Jason Kidd? Yeah, in the uh, Northern California semifinals in the Oakland Coliseum. Did you ever D him up one-on-one? Jason Kidd went for a triple-double against us, almost quadruple-double. <laughs> uh, we lost by, I think, around 20. Okay. But they blew out everybody the rest of the way worse than us. But we knew about Jason Kidd. Jason Kidd, growing up back then, you knew about Jason Kidd sure from the time did. you were 14, 15 years old. It would be, if he was social media now, it would be like how you know, LeBron is and, and all these guys. You know, they were, they, He was coming out of high school. This guy was sold out. They, they couldn't play in their high school gym. They had to play in college gyms because it was so many people. And um, he was a, It was a sight to see, but he was, he was fun to play against because he was so good. All right, so did you grow up a Giants or A's? Which Giants one? fan. Okay. Big Giants fan growing up. Niners? Big Niners fan and Warriors. Giants, Niners, Warriors back then, yeah. Okay, so you were Warriors during Run TMC? Run TMC. Mullen was my guy. Oh, Chalk. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, really shoot it. Still a Warriors guy? Still a Warriors guy. I live on the East Coast now, so I, it's tough to stay up, but uh, I watch as much as I can. Okay. Yeah, Have love you- Steve Kerr. Love that they do over there. Like, have you had a chance to interact with any of those guys? Really cool is that we had a uh, kind of a Zoom meeting between the Warriors front office and coaching staff and ours uh, during COVID time. Oh, nice. That was a big thrill for me, honestly, just to, to interact with the Warriors guys. Yeah, I mean, you told them that you're a big Warriors guy, of course. I think I did. No, I'm no, no. Sure. Come on. Well, I had a buddy that played at University of Arizona with Kerr. Oh, who's so that? that? His name is Craig McMillan. He's a, actually the junior college basketball coach in Santa Rosa. Uh-huh. And the Sean Elliott years, Sean Elliott, Anthony Cook, Steve Kerr, Eric yeah. Lute Olson days at Arizona. So we had a Kenny guy, Lofton, Kenny Lofton off the bench, uh, Sean Rooks. So uh, Craig played was a starter, was a other guard for uh, for Arizona at that time. He was from Cloverdale, so uh, he's a little bit older than me, obviously, but um, know him very well. Nice, yeah. Don't forget about Jed Bushler. Jed Bushler and uh, forgetting one, he's on radio in San Francisco right now. Oh, Tom Tolbert. 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 My guy Tolbert. Tolbert. Yeah, Tolbert's there. Uh, he's a knucklehead, dude. They had a ton of NBA guys in that Didn't team. Isn't that crazy? That's a crazy That's a good squad. team. That's a good squad. Uh, your Orioles. One of the great feel-good stories this year, but it was hard for you to get to that point personally, right? I mean, a couple hundred lost seasons. The 2020 wasn't nearly as, as difficult, but it was a shortened season. Was there ever a time, we talk about a lot about successes and failures on this show. Was there ever a time during those first few years where you're like shit can i can i manage uh yeah yep there's no doubt um uh, it wasn't if i can manage it's like when you're when you're going especially when you're doing it in our division the al east right and you're playing the teams that you play you know almost 80 times to have those talented rosters and then you're bringing in guys out of the bullpen that you just know you hold on tight, you know. Um, and when things continually don't work out, you kind of you question, and you you know you just ask a lot of questions, and you try to self evaluate, and you evaluate your club. And you know, I was I've been fortunate to be surrounded by really positive people that um, help me. And uh, but yeah, I mean, it's tough to lose that much, 
and and uh, you know you you just try to at the moment you, you're down, but you try to get back up and you, you try to stay positive and consistent the next day. What do you have? Three kids? Yep. Fairly young, right? Yeah. Daughter at Syracuse graduating, oh, and then Congrats. fourteen and twelve. Yes, yeah, son is fourteen. Daughter's twelve. When you're going through those tough times, how do you not bring it home with you? Uh, it's hard too. That's the, I mean, that the separation is definitely challenging. My son, um, that was a hard part about 20 and 21 was, was my son grew up in the Cubs clubhouse. So all those years, those great years we had right. in Chicago, he was at the park with me almost every day, every day in spring training. We became kind of, you know, Rizzo, Baez, KB, like all those guys were like his big brothers, grew up with Lester's sons, Montero's son. So David Ross's son. So, um, 19 was a little bit shocking for him because we're losing so much. <laughs> but he but he enjoyed being around. And um, 20 and 21, he couldn't be in. And so that was really tough on me, tough on him, uh, because I was having, you know, tough days at work. You, you, he, he, he provided, um, you know, some – you enjoy watching him shag. You enjoy having him being around. A little bit of lightness to yeah, a difficult for sure, time. For sure. And that really helped – that really had helped me out in 19. Um, but it's it's definitely I don't you know I don't leave it at the ballpark as well as I should. There's mm-hmm. no doubt about it. Um, I that's something I need to improve on. <laughs> uh, I, I I need to be able to uh, move on to the next day. I, I you know I tend to watch the game over. Oh yeah, really? Yeah, a lot. I watch the game over. It's still fresh, um, especially when you go on the road and you're in a hotel and they replay like. Every almost every place yeah. you go, there's a replay of the game at midnight. Yes, that's true. Well, I'm guilty of watching that a lot most nights, and so because uh, you just see start seeing things that you you know you didn't see from the dugout. Interesting. So, yeah, I probably could do a better job with that. Well, as I said, you guys were such a great story last year. Why shouldn't we be surprised that it continues in 2023? Is it because this team is so young and up and coming, and there's guys, you know, Gunners right here, yeah. and you got guys that are on the precipice of breaking through? I mean, because you look at the rest of the AL East, and we're like, okay, Baltimore's a cute story, but, man, there's some power. Oh, no, there's doubt. I mean, there's going to, you know, it's going to be four teams that are going to get better. And uh, we know that. It's gonna, that's, that's the challenge of the AL East is that there's, uh, you know, there's the other four teams are going to be really good, and you know that. We played against them better this last year. Yeah. We need to continue to do that. Uh, we pitched better. That was the, the biggest turning mm-hmm. point for us was we pitched a lot better, and we played, we played really good defense. Um, we got a catcher made his rookie. It was that became a, uh, you know came to us in May that made a huge difference for our pitching staff and just adding a switch hit. It's going to be an impact. Give me a silver slugger. He's going to be a Gold Glover. This guy's going to be the re- you know real deal and everything he does. And um, to be able to hit for him to do that in his rookie year is amazing. But um, and he really helped out their pitching staff also. Uh, him and Torinos were fantastic. Um, but we just got to continue to pitch honestly because the lineups you face on a nightly basis are unforgiving. Um, they're superstars throughout, superstar middle of the orders, and you got to be able to keep the ball in the ballpark. And fortunately, last year we did a be- way better job of that. Um, what is the one story about Adley Rutschman that you need to share that will make us go, wow, that's amazing? I just think he is um, hes so grounded. Like yeah, he's he is. He's crazy grounded. Like, he's, uh, like I called him when he – you know, with the rookie of the year stuff, like when he got uh, nominated to be a rookie or the top three, I think right, it was top, top three, three rookie of the year. And I called him and just to tell him congratulations. Like, I'm like, but I was saying it to like, like he should know already. Like, you know, you're going to be a top three. So, hey, Adley, congratulations. He was super surprised and super honored. And I'm like, 
<laughs> you see what you did this year? Like he just he he's uh um he's a great self evaluator, but he's also very innocent, you know, and and he really honestly just cares. He just cares so much about winning, helping out the pitchers. He one of the best separators of offense and defense I've ever seen, especially at a young age, and uh, it's just super genuine. He is. We had him on the Rose Rotation, and he told us a great story about how when he was at Oregon State, he dressed up for Halloween as a Power Ranger. You know, he was college kicker too, right? Punter, yeah. And he went out and was like, he surprised these kids on a football field in a full Power Ranger outfit so they didn't know it was Adley Rutschman, <laughs> kicking 50-yard field goals yeah. during Halloween. Incredible. Good, great athlete. Yeah. I mean, incredible athlete. Seems so like a strong, good kid. Great kid. Everything. Uh, it was great getting to know you. I just want to suggest this to you. You can do whatever you want with it. If you grew up a Giants fan and you want to see them improve, go up to Farhan Zaidi and Gabe Kapler and just say, hey, go sign Aaron Judge if you want to. You have my blessing. In the NL West instead of the AL East? It's just a thought. Or Bogarts and Correa, anybody. Yeah. You know, all those guys. Yeah. Will, yeah will, it's up to you. Yeah. you. Use it if you want. You don't even have to credit <laughs> I'm throwing me it out there. You can throw it right back. Yeah, <laughs> probably. Listen, man, it was a pleasure. Okay. Uh, I wish you luck. Thanks, you, Chris. You're a good dude. And, um, have fun. The Orioles were a great, great story. Yeah, I appreciate having me on, and thanks a lot. Appreciate Absolutely. It. And tell your son, hi, if he wants to intern sometime in the future at John Boy, <laughs> I imagine we can get – that way we'll be pulling clips on you every night. The thing is, he's the, you got to get a little more outgoing. He's a little – he's so introverted still. Uh, but, but, yeah, maybe we, down the road. We have a bunch of those kids around here. <laughs> Are you kidding me? They, they call me the John Boy Media Dad, so I'll keep a good eye on him. That's all right? awesome. All right. Yeah. Congratulations and uh, much success in 2023. Thank you, Chris. Hey, hey, everybody. Pardon the interruption, but DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, is my go-to for betting on the NFL this holiday season. Right now, new customers can bet just $5 on any NFL team to win their game and get $150 in free bets if they do. Check this out. Right now, right now, right now, everyone can earn up to 100% boost on with DraftKings stepped-up same-game parlays. Go to the DraftKings Sportsbook app now, place the same-game parlay, and combine multiple bets like which team will win, player props, point totals, and more. The more legs you add, the bigger the boost, the bigger the boost, the bigger the shot you have to win. It's that simple, people. Jets and Lions are this weekend. Uh, I think there are a couple of divisional matchups, but, I mean, you've got to take the giant, the Jets and Lions Total points over. They're going to score points. Mike White's there, baby. You got this. And, I mean, you know, Elijah Moore touchdown, maybe. I don't know. Who knows? Maybe you'll like CJ Uzama touchdown. Download DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code ROSE and place a $5 bet on any NFL team to win their game and get $150 in free bets if they do. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Now back to the show. The architect of the Seattle Mariners. That would be your playoff Mariners from 2022, Jerry Depoto. Isn't that a nice sound? Yeah, I would like to hear that over and over again. Yeah, well, now you want to hear it in 2023 and then 2024. No, I just meant you can say it again. Okay. (laughs) The architect of the 2022 playoff Seattle Mariners. Give it for people that weren't up there in the Pacific Northwest. When Cal Raleigh, who was a guest on this show recently, when he hits that home run, what did the whole world feel like? Uh, you know, I for me personally, it was the best moment of my baseball life. It was because of what it meant to that city, the people in that ballpark. I, I didn't know it meant as much to our players as it as it 
ended up being. You know, I, my general take was we've spent years trying to take the pressure off our players by saying, hey, they weren't the, the, the reason for right. this extended drought. But they, they felt it. And the, the relief that they felt when Cal hit that ball, you know, out of the ballpark and the ensuing celebration. We had multiple celebrations that were, you know, I have been fortunate enough to be part of a World Series winner as a, as a front office person and never experienced anything like the joy of, of simply clinching a playoff spot in Seattle. When uh, you guys make it to the playoffs and get a big win, do you do the circle dance like they do on the field with the, with all the executives and stuff so we don't do a circle dance uh. we have another uh, tradition that we started in you know in two, 2021 we had a, a a surprising 90 win season yes, you did. and and uh, maybe one that wasn't quite as sustainable but while we were in that season it was so fun winning those improbable games where we would come back late or our bullpen would do magical things and uh, and we'd get the key homer in the eighth and we started a tradition of circling up the coaches front office people you know and the or what i would call the 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 support group to the players mm. and we would have uh, we had little thimbles you know a, a, a trophy cup and we had number one written on the cup <laughs> and we would pour a shot of fireball and, and everybody would Look hop in the guys. middle and, and throw back their shot and start hopping up and down so dude what like, am i a, a sophomore back at vcu now exactly back in right the, day? The, the players started calling it the fraternity you yeah. know the, before long a couple of players started to trickle in and, and then it became a little bit more of a party but, i like that yeah i'm digging it um when People uh, see Jerry DePoto's name on their caller ID, other GMs, team presidents. Do you think they hit decline because they're afraid to deal with you? I, I think they, they say, oh, it's on. <laughs> um, you know, and some may think, oh, what am I going to get from this idiot now? And, and others may think, oh, God, it's him again. It's, uh, but it's fun. You know, part of the reason why we're able to make as many moves, trades as we do through the years is you build relationships. And, you know, I've been doing it a fairly long time now. And there's so many guys, you know, that do what we do that, that I enjoy talking to. And I'll pick up the phone and call them socially. So they may not know I'm looking to come for their, their firstborn, but, you know, it's a, <laughs> it happens more often than not. Have you ever, ever consummated a deal, finished it, and then said, did I really just do that? No. Like, you know, it's to the point where you get, like, nervous. Like, is that the right move? Is it the wrong move? You know, early, early in my career doing this, my the, the very first trade I ever made was one of the biggest trades that I was ever, you know, a part of. I, I was the interim general manager in, in Arizona. Arizona in the summer of 2010. I had been a general manager for three weeks. Uh, not even. It might have been two and a half weeks. And we traded Dan Heron to the Angels for a, a package of four players, including Patrick Corbin, Tyler Skaggs, mm -hmm. Joe Saunders. And, uh, and, and at the time, Dan Heron was near the top of mm -hmm. the, you know, the pitching pool. He was certainly the best player, I thought, the best pitcher available in that market. And, uh, and that was, you know, it was harrowing. You, know, you, you felt nervous being the one at the driver's seat when you were making a deal of that magnitude. And, and maybe doing that deal – the, right out of the chute as a as as a trade maker mm -hmm. was the one that that got me over the hump and sent me careening toward the madness that you've seen since so yeah so you know you're you're it's perceived fun. It's as funny. a man you like yeah. being perceived as that guy sometimes we play it up you know it's, it, because i'll get to i'll just shoot a text to, to another <laughs> gm hey let's make a trade <laughs> it's uh but we, we have fun with it and, and a lot of uh, a lot of others around the league will have fun with it and you know it's uh it's something of what we do. It's 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 how we've built our team, and, and I'm, I'm I'm proud of it. And we've made some 
some duds along the way. Yeah, but I mean, come on. When you fire your shot enough, yep. you're going to have some great ones. You're going to have some that don't work out. That's the nature of the business. You must be a hell of a fantasy football player. Uh, in the day. You know, I, we, uh, I have not played fantasy football since the day job, you know, started becoming right. a little too cumbersome to manage right. it. But, uh, yeah, I loved playing as a player. I mean, and, did you pull off trades like this? Too? Oh, yeah. We oh, would do did. crazy oh, stuff. Okay. It, was, uh, it was great. Actually, my very first uh, – for 10 years or so, I played in the fantasy football league, and Hal Morris was one of the you know former first sure. basemen. Hal was one of the, the participants, and, and Hal and I would frequently wind up in the, the playoff, you know, the, the, the championship game opposite one another, I think like three times in a four-year stretch. So when I got the opportunity in Anaheim and I needed a, a player personnel man, I just called Hal. <laughs> I said, hey, would you do this? And, uh, and he did, and, and, you know, we were better for it. Hey, listen, I know your time's short, but I want to get on this. You know, you guys made the trade for Colton Wong with the Brewers, so you figure you've got a good, really good glove guy at second base that can play. You got one at shortstop and JP. We had heard that you guys might be in on a Trey Turner or guys like that. Does this slam the door shut on those shortstops that are out there? Yeah, you know, our, our middle infield will be Colton Wong and Dylan Moore, along with J.P. Crawford. And, you know, it's uh, there are a lot of different ways that you can go to, to create advantage with a team. And Colton was a target of ours. We tried to sign him as a free agent two years ago when he signed Milwaukee. I think we finished second in that deal. Mm -hmm. And uh, we pursued him last year at the trade deadline. He was not available. We couldn't get to him. And then we connected with the Brewers before. We feel like he fits our team because he allows us to amplify the other players and what they do best. You know, it particularly gives Dylan Moore a chance to, to exercise his skill set. Mm -hmm. And between the two of them, you know, it's a very sneaky combination of players. Between he and Colton Wong, there's a, you look up, and, and I think their productivity is going to be a, a little surprising to people offensively. And we think they're both gold glove quality second basemen. You gave J-Rod that amazing deal, which is going to be worth several hundred million dollars, hopefully by the time he's done uh, at age 67 or whatever you assigned him to here. Give me one story where you were like, kid's different. So the, this is the first day players reported to spring training this past spring in 2022. And Julio's sitting on the bench, and, and I saddled up next to him, and he was holding the bat that he wound up using in the home run derby in L.A. It was this, uh, a, like a black and aqua bat with a, a variety of J-rods, you know, emblazoned all over the bat. And, and I, you know, I grabbed the barrel of the bat, and I pulled it down, and I said, it's pretty sweet. And he said, yeah, they made it for me, especially for me. And, uh, and, and he said, it's pretty cool. And, and I said, you know what? I said, they, they, if they might make you a better bat than that if you go out and, and, and win the, the rookie of the year batting title. And he said, uh, he said yeah. I said, you know, if, they, if, they do, if you do 30-30, they might make that thing in platinum, you know. And, and uh, he turned around and he looked at me and he said, do you think I can play center field? And so, so this is off the reservation, he said, do you think I can play center field? Because in the minor leagues, he played some center field, but primarily corner outfield. And, and that's always what we projected him as. And, and I said, you know, unfortunately for you, I, I do, because I saw the video, because I know he's trying to use it as a motivator. He said, uh, he said well, you know, I, he said, I thrive when people tell me that I can't do something. I said, okay, I don't think you can win the rookie of the year. And I'm pretty sure you can't go 30-30. And he said, it's on. And he went out and he won the rookie of the year. And if not for, you know, a, a late season back issue that right. he had to deal with, I think he would have hit 30-30. You know, he's a, he's a remarkable player. He's a great, 
human being. I know. And, and he's still and he's still not 22 years old. There's there's so much in front of Julio, and we've only seen him scratch the surface. Yeah, we're so fortunate that we have him in this game. I, we were all there with John Boy Media at the home run derby, and the place just jumped. Yeah. You know, when he got out there and did his thing, everybody's like, "This is the moment." This is the moment for him, and he hasn't stopped, and he won't stop anytime in the near future. Before you go, I just want to let you know that when you came up with the uh, then Indians in the early to mid-90s, I was one of the guys cheering for you. I just, you know, I'm Cleveland you, guys. You are a Cleveland guy. Through and through. I still love going back. I will go on every road trip to go back to Cleveland. And, uh, you know, I, I there's it's funny. Yesterday I sat down for coffee with Travis Sawchuk, who's also, mm-hmm. you know, a, 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 an Indians guy, mm-hmm. a, an old-time Indians guy. And, you know, those, those, he asked me about the day that I was traded from the Indians. You know, this is for Jeremy Burnitz. Yes. Uh, and, and I was in Puerto Rico. This was during the player strike in 94. I was in Puerto Rico trying to regain innings from what was a, a missed season for me, or roughly a missed season. And I never heard from the Indians because this was pre-cell phone. I didn't have a phone in my apartment. And I found out I was traded by watching ESPN and seeing seeing no it way. come up. Yeah, and and uh, you know a week later I flew home and, and I spoke to Joe McElvain from the Mets. And it's just funny how how different it is now. And you know that was how I found out was by watching ESPN, watching the TV. We've come a long way. Yes, we have. Now uh, you find out on on trade rumors or Twitter. <laughs> it's unreal. Hey, uh, continued success. It was great to see. And your organization has been really good to us here at the uh, at the Rose Rotation. Your entire crew out there, Adam and his guys. So keep it up. you got good people up there, really talented, and I'll be really interested to see you in Houston battle uh, atop the AL West coming Should up. Should be fun. Should be fun. Thanks, Good Chris. seeing you, Jim. Appreciate it.